Welcome to Unearth Whispers, a community of dreamers and doers dedicated to elevating and creating a thriving mind, body, and spirit. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of how to navigate well-being in the modern age, using a blend of science, ancient wisdom, intuition, and creativity. Join us for a chat, share your creative energy, and invest in you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I am extremely excited because the topic we are talking about today is something I am super passionate about and I know many of you will enjoy and benefit from. Today, we are talking about easing anxiety, imposter syndrome, and stilling the mind. Anxiety is something that I have dealt with from a very young age, but it got to the point where I realized that it was keeping me from being the person I wanted to be and creating life that I really loved and desired. So I've had a lot of experience, teachings, and education on this topic today, and I'm so excited to share them with you and hopefully support you in navigating your own anxiety. As always, I would love to start this podcast episode by taking a few grounding breaths with you. So wherever you are, you can keep your eyes open or closed if that feels safe for you. Keeping your feet firmly planted on the ground. Sitting up tall with an erect spine. Maybe placing your hands on your lap. We'll just begin with a deep inhale through the nose and exhaling out through the mouth two more inhales through the nose filling up the lungs completely and exhaling out through the mouth and one more breath inhaling through the nose and exhaling completely. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking those grounding breaths with me. And we will ease right into anxiety. So what exactly is anxiety? Anxiety is essentially a feeling of dread, fear, or uneasiness. It results in many different forms and diagnoses with differing sets of symptoms, but it can manifest as physical symptoms as well, like sweat, tension, fatigue, rapid heartbeat, heavy chest or stomach, shallow breathing, nail picking, biting, etc. Everyone is so different and so unique. We are bio-individual beings and these symptoms can show up very differently from person to person and it's very important to remember that you are a unique being some of this may resonate with you some of it may not just like certain practices may make a difference and others may not In January of 2024, the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences reported that 19.1% of adults have experienced anxiety in the past year. That is almost one in five adults. Depression was second in prevalence, affecting approximately 8.3% of adults. I'm sharing these statistics with you to 
reminds you that you are not alone. There are so many other people experiencing discomfort with these symptoms and I understand that acknowledging that other people are experiencing these issues as well doesn't necessarily make it easier to navigate and cope with anxiety, but it means that there is a massive population of people looking for ways to mitigate the effects of anxiety. And there's a good chance that many of them have success stories and have developed effective practices and frameworks that support mental health and functioning in daily life with anxiety. One of those people is myself. And I am so excited to talk about my experiences, to talk about what has helped me, how research has changed the game for reducing anxiety and hopefully support you on your journey with anxiety and finding relief and finding healing for yourself. I want to share a brief background with my story on anxiety because I have dealt with anxiety since I was a little girl. I had a really hard time socializing. I had a really hard time speaking to family members, mainly extended family members. I felt like I couldn't communicate with them. I felt like I couldn't communicate with a lot of people. I had a lot of trouble making friends. I kept myself from playing on certain sports teams or organizations, dance classes. I remember I would go with my mom to pick my older sister up from dance class when I was a little girl. And I would just watch through the window all of these little girls in their cute little outfits dancing. And I wanted to dance so bad, but I was too anxious. I was too scared. I I couldn't dance in front of other people. I couldn't put myself in another situation with a bunch of strangers. I mean, that was just to do that voluntarily. I wasn't there at that time and it kept me from so many experiences that I still think about to this day wishing I had done. Until my freshman year of university, I realized that in order for God to use me, I wanted to impact the world positively. I realized that I had to overcome fears of self-embarrassment, judgment, failure, not being perfect, messing up, admitting that I don't know or being wrong. I realized that my anxiety was keeping me from becoming this person that I, I dreamed of being and I knew I was deep down. It kept me from leading a life that I really did love and I felt excited to live every day and it came to a point which is my first point in today's discussion. That point was when I, I decided that I had to change. I didn't give myself another option. Sometimes we have to reach rock bottom, a breaking point in a sense, in order to pivot from a true deep place within ourselves and make those changes. I had hit this point where I felt like I had no other choice but to change, but to overcome this anxiety because I realized what it was doing. It was crippling me. It was crippling my life. And my life was playing out in a way that I, I didn't want. 
I didn't want. That's not what I dreamed of for myself. And I knew I could do so much more. I knew I could be so much more. The second point that changed my experience of anxiety was when I was in high school, a few years before my breaking point of sorts, um, I started to read about mindfulness and meditation. The first book on mindfulness, meditation, Buddhism, things of that sort that I bought was What the Buddha Taught by Warpola Rahula. And at first it felt really foreign to me. It felt almost wrong to be reading about Buddhism and meditation and these practices because I grew up going to Roman Catholic mass and I was confirmed a Roman Catholic. So I'd grown up with these kind of strict ideals within Catholicism and that was a journey that I think many people experience but after I slowly started getting into it I realized that these are just practices that connect you to your breath to your mind to your internal world and they're there to support you they're there to support us no matter what religious frameworks you follow or what your faith looks like Around the same time, I noticed that my curiosity for the world, for other cultures, languages, my love of learning French blossomed. I felt myself really yearning to travel, to get out in the world. I started reading and learning about new cultures, ways of thinking, approaches to life, death, cooking, socializing, art, and I started to feel connected to the world, to concepts, to ways of living that I didn't experience in the world or in my small sense of the world at that time. I hadn't felt like there was a place for my authentic self in my community or in the world that I'd experienced for the way that I thought, spoke, acted, what I prioritized in life, what I valued. They just, it didn't match up with what the people and institutions around me valued. But once I started relating to other people, places, and things that felt right for me, this newfound sense of belonging really impacted my relationship with myself. And I could already feel a change in the way that I engaged with the world. The next point that really changed my experience with anxiety and helped me step into a place of confidence and surrender and trust was grounding through mindfulness and meditation. Mindfulness is essentially the act of noticing. It's not necessarily letting it go, but instead letting it be. It's engaging the five senses, the mind, and observing the cessations of the mind. It's being in presence with the world as it is. I feel that mindfulness is a sort of gateway to the spiritual and self-expansion journey because once this door is opened there's this flood of consciousness emotion revelation and gratitude that really takes effect and propels you on this journey of of something profound that i don't really think anyone can put into words or at least words that other people can relate to and fully understand because each person's journey is their own Thich Nhat Hanh, a famous Buddhist monk, talked about the ability to meditate while washing dishes. This simply means being fully present while washing the dishes. 
It could mean feeling the sense of warmth of water on your hands, the force of the water rushing out of the faucet, the sound of the exfoliating sponge against the plate, the cool breeze coming from the window in front of you. It's this practice of meeting reality exactly where it is. It's being right where you are and practicing gratitude for being alive and present in that moment. Consciousness and being alive is beautiful in its essence. Joshua Felber is a professor of psychology at Syracuse University and director of the Mind Body Laboratory. And he said, Mounting empirical evidence has shown that mindfulness practices reduce the experience of stress and improve immune system functioning, and thus offer a unique tool for improving one's body and mind, even in trying circumstances. Mindfulness sharpens cognitive skills, it improves immunity, heart health, and supports mental and emotional health. John Kabat-Zinn is an author and professor of medicine emeritus at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and creator of the mindfulness-based stress reduction technique. He said in a quote that mindfulness is about love and loving life. When you cultivate this love, it gives you clarity and compassion for life. And your actions happen in accordance with that. I'll read that one more time. Mindfulness is about love and loving life. When you cultivate this love, it gives you clarity and compassion for life, and your actions happen in accordance with that. This is speaking on the inherent love that accompanies mindfulness. It's noticing and appreciating and feeling the love that is present in each moment. When we cultivate mindfulness, this increases our clarity of who we are, what is present, what truth is, and we develop this deep compassion for life, for other people, for ourselves, and your physical reality, your actions, your life will reflect that, will reflect this blossoming of consciousness and compassion and understanding within yourself. Mindfulness is an inner journey that reaps such amazing rewards. The next pivotal aspect of my journey with anxiety is that I realized that no one really cares. Everyone is the main character in their own life. When I was younger, like middle school age, I started to get acne and I would get really stressed out and upset with my skin. And my parents would always tell me, Lauren, no one is going to notice that pimple on your forehead. No one cares. And if they do notice it, whatever. They understand that other people have acne. You're going through puberty. Your hormones change. Stress affects these things. No one cares. And if they do, if people do care, they say something, they pester you, they're most likely focused on the wrong things and projecting their own insecurities onto you. This is normal and this happens very often and we've even been the perpetrators here. We've done this to other people. We do this to ourselves. But this doesn't require us to respond with negative energy or rudeness. It just means that we have to take space, physically and metaphorically. Sometimes we have to distance ourselves from these people, situations, but we also have to put distance between our comment and internalizing that as truth 
because just like everything you say or think isn't true, why would you assume that everything other people say about you to you is true? No one notices these really big things that you struggle with on a daily basis, like raising your hand to share your idea for a project. No one's going to think that you're ridiculous. They're going to either appreciate your contribution or maybe they just move on to the next idea. What's really the worst that could happen? This is something that is really helpful to ask ourselves. What is the worst that could happen? I've made it a habit to count to three and do the thing. So I'll count one, two, three, and then I'll raise my hand or I will start walking towards the person I want to talk to or I will book the trip if I can afford it, of course, or I'll make the phone call to a friend or a family member. I'll jump off the cliff into the ocean. Whatever the situation is, sometimes we just have to remember that no one will notice. No one really cares what decision we make. And sometimes we have to come back to the present moment, to the physical reality, feel the ground beneath our feet, remember what day of the week it is, what time it is, count to three, do the thing, and not let anxiety rule over every single little action that you take. The next point I want to cover relating to anxiety is identifying potential roots of your anxiety. Once I decided that I needed to change my anxiety, I needed to overcome, I needed to cope, I needed to ease the symptoms that I was experiencing, I started to identify causes of my anxiety other than your common human condition of fear of shame embarrassment etc there were things that i did not like about myself and i was not happy with i was unsatisfied with certain aspects about the way i looked i was unsatisfied with the way that i engaged with the world with other people with my friends and family i was unsatisfied with how i was showing up at work and school I was unsatisfied with the routines that I was maintaining, with the habits that I had. I just, I didn't feel like I was the person who I wanted to be and knew that I could be. And I knew that it was on me, no one else, to be that person. Feeling our best and looking our best and taking care of our bodies and our minds are equally important. So... After you identify a few things that maybe are contributing to your anxiety or are exacerbating it, start with small sustainable changes. For example, if you want to improve your health, start by learning about gut health. Gut health is kind of the epicenter of our bodies and considered second brain. And um, it's really important to get educated and then start finding what works for you and implementing small changes. The hardest part is starting. Once you start, you can adhere to self-discipline and routines to keep yourself on this journey of adopting a certain habit or living your life a different way. The internal work is definitely complex and takes time, but one thing that I really struggled with was using my voice, taking up space, and ultimately stepping into my worth when I was younger, my dad would always say to my siblings and I, like, stand up straight, shoulders back, chest out, 
and he was very he was a very big proponent of good posture and at the time it was kind of a nuisance but maintaining good posture is kind of a biological hack to feeling better about yourself the way that we show up in an environment with other people is extremely important not only to how we perceive and relate to ourselves but also how other people perceive us if you walk into a room and you're slouching you're kind of shying away from the people trying not to be perceived and seen by others maybe you're fiddling with your hands or you're not making eye contact those are all signals to other people that you are anxious you don't think very highly of yourself you don't really want to be noticed you don't want to be acknowledged and people respond to you in that way whether or not they are conscious of it having good posture and checking yourself throughout the day can really change your sense of self and also improve the way people perceive you because if people are responding to you in a way that they really value you they value what you have to say they value your presence and they're acknowledging you that impacts your confidence and your sense of self so something simple like posture can be really impactful sometimes when we have things that we want to change about ourselves, like our self-discipline or our routines it can be really difficult to keep ourselves accountable in getting those things done or really integrating those routines for anyone who struggles with uh, symptoms of adhd Body doubling can be a really good practice for accountability and focus if discipline is a target trait for you. So body doubling is essentially having someone else in the room. Maybe they could be doing their own thing. Maybe you're just talking, um, whatever it may be. It helps you focus on getting that task done or doing what you say that you are going to do. So if you're folding laundry and you keep getting distracted by your phone and you've decided you want to become someone who can get your to-do list done for the day and have a really good routine, you want to be a clean person and you're putting away your laundry but you keep getting distracted, call in a friend, a family member and ask them just to like sit and talk with you while you fold the laundry or if they're reading a book, doing homework. Have them do it in the same room as you so that you are more likely to not get distracted, to not um, procrastinate or distract yourself from the task at hand. I think it's also really helpful to journal daily, documenting your thoughts, experiences, places that you are growing, where you need improvement or more focus, and just checking in with yourself on a daily basis and recentering each day on what your priorities are, who you want to be, and how it's going. Having this in paper to come back to on a daily basis, you can see that you're serious about this and this is something that you really want for yourself and you deserve. It just keeps it fresh in your mind and your awareness so that as you move through your day, you have these in intentions and these ideals fresh on your mind. I've read in multiple places that anxiety is likened to a lack of trust, a lack of surrender, and this overwhelming worry about the future, about what could happen, what could go wrong, what am I going to do, X, Y, Z. This leads into the next point, which is extremely important, has been transformational within healing my own anxiety, 
which is developing a spiritual practice and nourishing it. Spirituality is a very broad umbrella term that everyone kind of has a different understanding of and everyone's spiritual life um, differs. No one really has the same relationship with God as someone else. And I'll use the word God because that is what I believe in. That is what I feel the most connected to. Um, but obviously, take your own interpretation or meaning from anything relating to any of this podcast and what feels right for you. But having a relationship with God allows you to share the weight of what you're going through. Worries, doubts, fears, pains inspires hope and instills faith in growing a relationship with god you will naturally fall into a place of trust that everything will work out that you will be provided for and that you are not alone god is with you in every moment every step of the way not only that but god wants what's best for you god wants you to live out your dreams to step into your highest self God wants all of the things, all of these beautiful, wonderful, positive things that are healing the world and yourself for you. So believe that. And as you grow this relationship with your spirituality and yourself, you'll start to step into this understanding that we are designed the way we are for a reason. We're not wrong for wanting certain things. We're not wrong for having dreams that other people may call foolish God wants those for us. Spiritual practices can look very different from person to person and you can tailor it to what works best for you and your lifestyle. Prayer is obviously one method of developing a connection with God and nourishing your spirituality. Talking to God as if you were talking to a friend, expressing gratitude throughout the day, Depending on your faith, there are religious prayers that some people recite and feel connected to. Singing, whether that's spiritual music with uplifting lyrics, gospel music, just your favorite songs that talk about love and the meaning of life and happiness and joy and the beauty all around us. Bhakti, devotional practices, rituals, offerings, community service is a beautiful one, selflessness, self-love, connecting with spirit, connecting with yourself and this sense of oneness and love is something that really transforms your trust and allows you to kind of release those doubts and those worries and knowing that you're not alone and there are other forces at work. Part of this developing a spiritual practice is spending more time alone. When we're alone, our mind has the opportunity to still. We can listen for divinity, for divine messages from God. We can look for that divinity all around us. Asking God to be present in your life is a vulnerable and powerful act. You will see it and feel it soon after because God wants you to know that you're not alone. God will make it known to you in whatever way you will be able to see and feel the presence of love and light and support and everything wonderful in your life, uplifting you and helping you along the way, telling you it's okay. It is going to work out. You don't have to worry. Let me bear some of that burden. That's what God wants you to know. 
Spending time alone allows you to get to know yourself, your truth, and the divinity that lives within you. Gratitude is a spiritual practice in itself. I love to, whenever I have thoughts throughout the day of, wow, the weather is really beautiful right now, I'll speak it out loud and say, I'm so grateful for the sunshine and feel the sun on my skin and enjoy this beautiful earth. If my friend opens a door for me, I say, thank you so much. And I make sure that they know that I'm being genuine, that this is coming from a place of love and truth. If someone exhibits a trait that I really value or appreciate in a person, I will express that to them. There's also um, a journaling practice. You can write three gratitudes every single day. This changes the neural pathways in your brain and changes the way that we experience the world. And as we're changing the way that we think and the way that we experience the world, the way that we experience ourselves changes as well. So this anxiety kind of starts to melt away because we realize that there is so much beauty and so much light and so many wonderful things that we could put our attention on instead of the things that we're worried about, instead of those intrusive thoughts that are making us question everything and doubt ourselves and doubt others and doubt the reality of things working out for us. Yoga is another spiritual practice that when integrated into your life is transformational to the mind, body, and spirit. Yoga is more than a physical practice that Western society has kind of categorized as a workout like Pilates or high intensity interval training. It's a way of living. It's a practice that unites us with the divine consciousness. So most people know yoga as asana, the physical movement, but there are actually eight limbs of yoga. The first limb is yama. And the yamas are essentially five disciplines or practices that cultivate a healthy relationship with the external world. These yamas are asteya, which is non-stealing, ahimsa, non-violence, satya, truthfulness, aparigraha, non-greed, and brahmacharya, which is right use of energy. The second limb of yoga is the niyamas. They are five disciplines and practices that cultivate a healthy internal relationship or state of being. And those are Svadhyaya, which is self-study, self-reflection, Ishvara Pranidaha, which is surrender, Saucha, which is cleanliness, Santosha, contentment, Tapas, burning desire or discipline. The third limb is asana, which is the posture, physical movement, and it was actually created to help us sit comfortably in meditation. The fourth limb is pranayama, which is breathwork, which literally means breath expansion or liberation of the breath, and these are techniques to control our breathing. The fifth limb is pratyahara, which is withdrawal of the senses, and this is essentially turning off our hyperfixation on the physical senses of the external environment. It's drawing our attention within. The sixth limb is dharana, which is the practice of holding concentration and focus, and this is how we develop kind of this authority being the master of our concentration. The seventh limb is dhyana, which is essentially meditation. It's considered meditative absorption, which is kind of being in a state of internal stillness and absorbing, noticing, similar to mindfulness. 
The eighth and final limb of yoga is samadhi, which is often referred to as bliss or enlightenment. But sama means equal and di means to see. So samadhi is essentially seeing reality as it is without those fluctuations and judgments of the mind. Exploring yogic teachings has been a transformational experience for me. Um, it transformed me from one of the darkest places that I've ever experienced in my life. And I ended up doing a yoga teacher training and it was a pivotal moment in my life for so many reasons that I can't even begin to put into words. But this physical practice allows us to connect with our body in a way that unless you're a serious athlete, you probably haven't connected to your body before. We develop this heightened awareness of muscles, joints in the body, sensations, movements, tension, and we explore connecting our breath to movement. And this encourages this beautiful blossoming of the breath in the body. When we expand our physical capabilities and our physical flexibility and our physical mobility, our minds and sense of self expand with it. For example, I was practicing hot yoga for a few months about two years ago and I was never called to hot yoga. I ended up doing it by chance and I wasn't sure how I'd like it because the heat makes me somewhat grumpy and um, hot yoga, you are doing a series of movements uh, in an extremely warm room and there's sweat dripping down my face onto my mat onto my eyebrows and my eyelashes and it's a very intense experience but through this process i developed this sort of mastering of myself and of my mind of being able to calm my mind letting the sweat drip down my eyelashes and i i hate the feeling of sweat on my face that's it's always bothered me but these few months of practicing hot yoga allowed me to overcome so much discomfort and those responses that i feel to discomfort just a few months of practicing hot yoga allowed me to overcome these instinctual responses to discomfort that made me tap out that made me run away that made me overwhelmed and think that i couldn't do it or i wasn't capable and that's just one of the benefits that i think every yogi can testify to is expanding their sense of self and being and capability i was able to apply that strength and that unwavering calm to situations in my life when i felt anxiety knock on the door it gave me the tools to cope with that rise in my nervousness in that sweating of the palms in those symptoms that would start to arise when I knew my anxiety was was taking over but I was able to gain control of myself again so now we're going to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome I like to think of imposter syndrome as this chatty beast within that lives in this cave somewhere and comes out just to torment you maybe every few days maybe every few weeks and then it goes back in the cave and you feel confident, you feel great, you're girl bossing, you are taking life by the horns, but then it comes back and then you begin to rethink everything that you're doing in your life, who you are, what you're capable of. And it's a really difficult thing to navigate. 
Imposter syndrome is essentially when we have these feelings and thoughts that tell us that we're not qualified, credible, worth listening to. Maybe we're not qualified to be in a leadership or a professional role, or we're not embodying what we outwardly present or preach to other people. It's not consistent. And because it's not consistent, I believe that it should be treated the same as a fleeting emotion. We must not give these imposter syndrome thoughts and feelings weight or time. We can acknowledge these thoughts and understand that they're coming from a place of change, a fear of change, of anxiety, and we can move on. We can continue to do what we're doing and go back to this state of understanding that this is a journey we're navigating. One exercise that can be super helpful in navigating imposter syndrome is writing a letter to yourself. And in this letter, imagine the prompt is convincing yourself of the incredible things that you are capable and have done in your life. So write about the things that you're passionate about and have spent time and energy developing, researching, experimenting, learning from others, and how you've been shaped by them. Basically, this is a really inspirational and motivational love letter to yourself about how awesome you are. Keep this letter and read it. Refer to it when you feel those thoughts come back up and you're starting to doubt your worth, what you have to offer if you're if you're qualified for the job or the classes that you're teaching, whatever it may be. In recent self-development and wellness communities, I've seen a lot of talk about relying on yourself for validation and comfort and soothing. And I think that these practices and ideologies are extremely important. I think it is essential for us to be able to affirm ourselves and bring ourselves back to a place of calm and groundedness. But it's also really important that we are not afraid to voice our doubts and our fears to trusted loved ones. Loved ones who are in a space where they can listen to us and receive what we have to express is super important. It's more than okay to lean on loved ones for support. It just can become an issue if we rely solely on that external validation and then that becomes a really tricky kind of attachment issue to solve. But they're there, they love you, they care about you, and they want to support you in any way that you can. So sometimes it's helpful to just open up, sit down, say, hey, do you have a few minutes? Can I talk to you about some things that I'm feeling? And they will most likely be more than happy to sit down and just listen to you. So sometimes when I am planning to teach a yoga class or having a conversation with a friend and I feel inclined to give them advice on something. I notice these thoughts coming up telling me that I'm not qualified to you know, facilitate this class or who am I to suggest these practices to someone to help their gut health. I notice these thoughts come up and one thing that I found that kind of rewires my subconscious is hanging up my certificates, diplomas, photos, pieces of art I've created basically to remind me of my value, to remind me of what I have done, what I have learned, and the experiences that I have that do add value to other people's lives, that do add value to the role that I play in my job, in my friendships, in my family, in my community. The reality is at the end of the day, 
each one of us is figuring it out as we go. No one knows everything and we can never truly be experts with the innate and external factor of the unknown and the limitations of this human form, this human mind. Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that our experiences and our education and what we have to offer is worthy. It is enough. And we don't need to be experts on anything to be able to share our wisdom, to share our love, and to share our gifts. Anxiety is something that seems like it's been there from day one for me, and I still deal with to this day. But because I've had these resources, teachers, knowledge, experiences to show me how to navigate, how to cope, how to rewire my brain, my subconscious, how to use my body and my senses to bring me to a place where anxiety doesn't overwhelm me, where I am in control of my actions and my decisions and my fears are not. I really hope that these practices and these ideas can give you some sort of comfort and support in your own struggles because we're not alone and sharing your experience and embracing human connection through this is so incredibly beneficial to you, to me, to everyone involved. Thank you so much for joining me today and I will see you next week.